Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're reviewing our homemade Irish cream, and I'm wondering if Andrea's morning coffee will ever be the same. And if any of you are still searching for that perfect last-minute holiday gift idea, I've tapped into a source close to home and will be bringing you a recipe for homemade maraschino cherries and some other boozy fruits. Finally, inspired by our own advice to serve a chilled dessert at the holidays, we're introducing a chilled chocolate whiskey souffle. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, it's the middle of December. Flour is flying everywhere in my kitchen. (laughs) It is the heart of the baking season. Our listeners are baking so many good things. Oh my gosh, we've got people trying fruitcake. We've got people doing all sorts of interesting bakes on our Facebook page and in our Instagram. I'm loving all of the activity that I'm seeing. It is so much fun to look at. And I have seen some recently, Andrea, that are going to beg my next question, which is, Is there a Yule log in your holiday planning? (laughs) You know, the Yule log is something that I mentioned a year ago being one of those holiday traditional dishes that I personally have never made. Yeah. And someone very kindly, someone perhaps you, recently sent me a newspaper article with a lemon Yule log recipe. So I'm so excited to try this. Yeah, that leapt out at me when I saw that. I think it was even an advertisement, maybe. It was in the newspaper, but it was kind of one of those paid promotional features or something. But yes, it's sponsored by Mercedes-Benz, which is (laughs) not my normal source of recipes. Which is always who I think of when I think of Lemon Yule Log. (laughs) But it looks great. It looks like a really good recipe. And it does come from the, um, it says it's extracted from the Le Cordon Bleu Pastry School. So I feel it will be really good technically written recipe. Oh, yeah. So fingers crossed, I will report back. Well, if you or other people are a little bit hesitant to attack a Yule log because it is like a jelly roll and it's very intricate with the decoration, mm-hmm. I want to give you an alternative. Oh, I'm ready. Consider the Yule stump. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a real thing. Not as appealing um, in terms of the recipe name, but tell me a little bit more about it. Kind of not, but sounds delicious. So I ran across this in the Good Housekeeping UK. It is a chocolate cake, which sounds like a really delicious and moist chocolate cake. It has some coffee in it. It has some sour cream in it. And then, Andrea, it has a caramel chocolate buttercream. But it is just round. I mean, you're just frosting around cake and then putting on some maybe chocolate shavings or other things, some chocolate kind of slabs on the side to look like a bark of your stump. But <laughs> I thought, well, hey, you know, there you go. You get a delicious chocolate cake. Sure. Yeah. You're kind of having fun with a Yule Log theme and it sounds way easier. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. I'm I'm willing to try a stump. Yeah. <laughs> It certainly sounds easier than a log. Well, I will post that recipe so you or others may do a log, may do a stump, whichever uh, delicious dessert you would like to make. Oh, great. I can't wait. And then, Andrea, just a quick 
preview, next episode we are introducing a figgy pudding we are so excited about. So excited. Folks, this is a traditional English steamed pudding. So you need something called a pudding basin. That can be any vessel that can withstand being in hot boiling water. This recipe, the traditional recipe, calls for that to be steamed on the stovetop. Some recipes, including the Sussex Pond pudding we did last spring, was in the oven. And Andrea is going to be doing an Instant Pot version of that as well. But if you will be making the traditional recipe, you need to have a vessel that can withstand that. So perhaps that's something you already have in your cupboards. If not, you can buy that and it's called a pudding basin. It looks like a mixing bowl, but it has a little bit of a lip around the edge. Some even come with a lid. They can be plastic, they can be glass, they can be ceramic. Andrea, I just bought myself one and I could not be more thrilled. It's so exciting. Okay, how could they be plastic? They can be plastic, yes. If you're going to steam them, yes. That wouldn't work in the oven, obviously. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I was a little concerned. Well, you know, there's so much stuff made with that silicone these days, Mm. you know, and that does go in the oven. So I was kind of wondering about that. When we made our Sussex Pond Pudding, Last year, I used an old, I think, Fire King or Pyrex bowl. It doesn't have the lip around the edge, but it does have that nice flat bottom and the tall sides. And it worked really well. Yes. So I'll use that same bowl again. And that is now been renamed my pudding basin. Isn't that lovely? And the lip is because you are going to be covering that with a lid made out of some parchment paper and tying some twine around it. So the lip just helps it stay put. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, I was just really excited to buy one. There's this great hardware store, like in the old-fashioned sense of that word, Andrea, up on Notting Hill. It's got everything you need from kitchenwares to planting seeds to pliers. Oh, yeah. I got it there for the equivalent of about seven bucks. Mm-hmm. You can find them easily on Amazon, probably at like Target or Fred Meyer type of stores also. Oh, good. I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for that. And that sounds like a really fun item for any baker to add to their holiday wish list. Well, this week we made a homemade Irish cream. This came from a food blog called A Cozy Kitchen, and it was our first time making a homemade Irish cream, although both of us are very familiar with drinking an Irish cream. (laughs) We talked about this recipe a little bit last week, and it is fairly straightforward ingredients, a cup of heavy cream, two tablespoons of chocolate syrup, which uh, Stefan tormented me by letting me know there was a Lyle's chocolate syrup that I didn't even know existed. I had to use plain old Hershey's (laughs) chocolate syrup. A little bit of instant coffee granules, some salt, a can of sweetened condensed milk, some vanilla extract, and of course that cup of Irish whiskey. I did not have any Irish whiskey in the house. The only time I was able to pick some up was early in the morning at my 24-hour grocery store. So I just felt like such a winner as I had my – I was also low on eggs. So I had a dozen (laughs) eggs and my jar of Irish whiskey, and I did feel the judgment of the checker as she looked at me, but she very kindly did not say a word. As I left, she just said, have fun. Scrambled eggs and whiskey for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, I almost got Jameson's. I am very familiar with that particular Irish whiskey. But at the last minute, I picked up one totally based on the name because it was called Two Gingers. And I just oh. love the name of that. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Two redheads. I love that. Yeah, it was pretty cute. 
So you start off with a small saucepan and about a quarter cup of that heavy cream mixed together with the chocolate syrup, the coffee granules, and the salt. You whisk that until the granules and the salt have dissolved. Then you transfer it to a blender. Now, Stefan, here is where I added in an extra step. I poured that mixture through a sieve as I poured it into the blender. Nice idea. I did not do that, but I'm usually the sieve in this relationship. So. <laughs> you are. You've always told me that you like to sieve when it involves heating cream or heating eggs. And I just thought, you know, if there's any curdling, I wanted to make sure that wasn't included. Mm -hmm. I also just thought the coffee granules, I love the flavor of coffee, but I didn't want that grittiness in the beverage. So sure. there definitely was a little bit left behind in the sieve when I did that. So I'm kind of glad I did that step. Yeah, good point. I'm going to scribble that down in my directions. After you've got that in your blender, you want to add in the remaining three-quarter cups of heavy cream, a can of sweetened condensed milk, and the vanilla extract, and you start pulsing it and blending it, and then you slowly pour in the whiskey. And she makes the note that you want to add it slowly to avoid possible curdling. So I definitely made sure that I did yeah. do that very slowly. Yeah. Transfer it to a pitcher. In my case, I just used a big glass mason jar, and refrigerate until cold about an hour and right before serving give it a good stir. Now her recommended way of serving this is over ice with a scoop of whipped cream and a bit of grated chocolate. I did serve it over ice for my first tasting because I wanted to see what it tastes like over ice although that's not how I typically drink Bailey's so I didn't really have anything to compare it to mm -hmm. but I thought it was lovely. I thought it was really really good. And then I felt like to be scientific and make sure that I was really testing it appropriately, I had to also have it the way I normally would, which is in my coffee. <laughs> so I then placed a little bit in my coffee and enjoyed it that way, and it was equally as good. I had a great experience <laughs> with this homemade Irish cream. Uh, how about you, Stefan? How did the recipe go for you, and how did it taste? So it sounds like we both had some dramatic moments in the making of this Irish cream. <laughs> You're heading out to the 7-Eleven for your whiskey at 8 in the morning. <laughs> and when I was making it, my blender exploded in a shower of sparks. Oh, no. Were you plugged into your voltage converter? I was plugged into my voltage converter, which has worked miraculously yeah. for the entire time we've been here and if you don't know what I'm talking about folks it's this special adapter we have to convert 220 which the English are on it converts it down to 110 for my appliances that I brought over from the U.S. and there's other considerations there too but I have not had a moment's trouble with it and honestly we still don't think it's the adapter we think the blender just malfunctioned but you probably heard me scream in Olympia Washington because it was so crazy oh no and then the thing is just smoking. And so I'm oh running it outside. And I'm thinking, is it on? Like, I, I just didn't know what to do. It was it was terrifying. So. Wait, OK. I, I have to pause you here because yes. I have a lot of questions. Okay, OK, so. Go ahead. So all of the items were in the blender. The blender is running. And then, like, does the top fly off? And is the liquid all over your kitchen? Or did just the base of the unit start smoking and sparking? These are all great questions. Let me see. <laughs> 
Because I'm terrified to think of the mess that was made. I, I'm getting anxious just imagining okay. it. Okay, well, no, 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 no. Fortunately, okay. Okay. fortunately, no mess, no mess. Okay, so so my first set of ingredients are in the blender. So my cream and the chocolate that we've just, you've just sieved, I have not. <laughs> we have put that in. And... <laughs> I'm going to then add the – I've added the extra cream. I've added the condensed milk. I'm, I'm like, ready to whip that on its first go-round and at, start adding the whiskey. So my adapter's okay. plugged in and mm-hmm. turned okay. on – or, sorry, the adapter's plugged in, the blender's plugged into the adapter, and the adapter's turned on, and then you turn okay. the appliance on. Okay. I've done this a 100 times, and this – the moment I hit on mm. for the blender, just this cascade – of sparks flew oh out of the gosh. base of the blender. Okay. Fortunately, I mean, honestly, in all very seriousness, you know, nothing caught on fire from those sparks because it was like I was welding or something. In there. Well, and you had that Irish whiskey nearby. I mean, <laughs> which is flammable. Good point. I had not even thought of that at the time. Now I'll have to have flashbacks from that. <laughs> Thank goodness the cherry bounce wasn't anywhere nearby. I mean, that would have been an instant fire it was still in its dark (laughs) resting place yeah it was some drama so I (laughs) screamed I took the thing outside if it was it was like smoking it was strangely not hot because of course I didn't even think of that like I should have like maybe that's hot stuff and don't touch it but I just picked it up and like ran it outside and then I stood and stared at it smoking for a while and (laughs) then when I was convinced that was the end of it I just calmly came in and shut the door and got my KitchenAid out so (laughs) Okay. Well, thank goodness for that whisk attachment on the KitchenAid, right? That probably worked out pretty well. So Santa baby, Stefan needs a new blender and it's going to be a 220. I'm just going to have to get an English blender, of course. But anyway, moving on from that. (laughs) Well, no, we can't move on because now that you've shared that, I will go ahead and uh, uh, share a little something that happened on my end too. I just wasn't going to say anything because it was embarrassing. But when I post my pictures for this, you'll see I use these beautiful, tall, vintage cocktail glasses. Okay. Yeah. As I took the pictures, I was turning away. I somehow knocked something and I spilled the entire pitcher uh, onto the floor. So all the Irish cream all over the floor. Now, of course, my dog was immediately next to me and he was standing at attention and ready to spring into action. And he's such a good boy. I looked at him and I was like, Filson, I'm not sure you should do this. It has alcohol in it. Yes. And he he just let me know by the look in his eyes that it was going to be okay. (laughs) And so he took care of the cleanup for me. And he was fine, everyone. Don't get worried. He was fine. He's pretty big. He's pretty big. So I think he can handle it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's really large. And the whole pitcher, even though the whole pitcher tipped, it didn't all spill out. Okay, okay. So right. it wasn't it wasn't actually that much. Um, so I thought, oh, gosh, you know, crisis averted. And then two minutes later, I picked up that beautiful, tall, vintage cocktail glass, and I went to put it away, and I banged it on the edge of the shelf, and I broke it. Andrea. I know. I know. So this, I think, is a first-time preheated double mishap on the recipe, and I can't help but wonder if it's related to the amount of Irish whiskey involved. I swear I wasn't tasting any beforehand. (laughs) 
Well, for all of this drama, I have to say this is one of my favorite things that we've made yes. on the show. It was so delicious. And, you know, it really got me thinking, Andrea, you and I have talked for both of our seasons about doing our homemade eggnog. Yes. That does make some people nervous because it has uncooked egg. Mm-hmm. This is a really nice alternative if you don't want to do that eggnog, but you still want that nice, creamy, alcoholic, homemade beverage because, man, this is it. This is almost nothing like Bailey's as far as I'm concerned. And I say that as a lifelong fan of yes. Bailey's. It is so creamy. It's super rich. And it just has a wonderful flavor. It's very boozy. It has that nice chocolate. For my taste, probably a little too much coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, as you guys know. My husband is, and he thought the coffee balance was right on. But Mm. you could also maybe play around with that if coffee's not your favorite flavor. I loved it. I loved it over ice. And I do think that was an important serving suggestion because it is so rich. Mm -hmm. We've talked before about how heavy the double cream is in England. And could be it's just a higher fat. But Mm -hmm. I might play around with maybe doing a little single cream or some whole milk in place of some of that double cream if I were trying to feel a little healthier. But man alive, I loved this. Well, I also got rave reviews from my husband on this particular drink. That night, I had to tell him about the broken vintage cocktail glass. And of course, you know, he's the collector in our family. So I knew he would be sad about it. So I first prepared him a glass of this. And I put it in one of those short, you know, highball cocktail glasses. And I use one of those big whiskey ice cubes. So there's just a single ice cube in the glass. Oh, yeah. And I poured that for him. And he sat down. He said, oh, what is this? And I said, well just try it and tell me what you think and he drank it he was like you know just raving this is so good yes he did tell me later you know he's not the hugest chocolate fan and he did make a comment later kind of similar to your comment about the coffee he just felt the chocolate was a little bit overwhelming a little bit forward and he would you know maybe either eliminate the chocolate or just back off on it if we did it again okay And then he made a suggestion that I have taken him up on, and I don't have the results to report yet, but it's sitting in my freezer, so I should be able to give you a report soon. He said, this, I think, would make the best ice cream ever, and I totally agreed with him. So I pulled out one of my ice cream recipes, and I just used a cup of this mixture in the place of a cup of heavy cream. Yeah, because this is actually really, really similar to that caramel bourbon ice cream I make. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're right. It tasted like that ice cream in melted form. Yeah. I mean, kind of. That has a more caramel flavor, but yes. Yeah. Yes. So I've got that ice cream now in my freezer. And um, based on my first taste test, even before it was frozen, it's going to get a big thumbs up. So another way to repurpose this once you're done with it. I do think that you can keep it in the fridge for five days is what she says. Since I turned mine into ice cream, I can't report on, you know, how it was at the fifth day. But I think if you're gifting it, which I do think is a lovely idea, I just would make sure you include that on the label about, you know, consume before and put a date on it. My husband and I had a raging debate about this because he thinks <laughs> he thinks you could keep it for several weeks. I don't know. I mean, he when we make our homemade eggnog, he keeps that around for maybe two weeks. Well, I think it just depends on your heavy cream. I mean, I often yeah, keep yeah. heavy cream for more than five days. So yeah. I, I would agree with that. I don't see a problem with it. Nothing else in it is going to go bad. You know, chocolate syrup, coffee, right. condensed milk, all of that kind of stuff can last in the fridge. 
I think you certainly could, you know, maybe the texture will change a little bit. But again, it's so easy to just pop back into the blender if one has a blender um, and just froth it right back up again. So I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to trying it after five days. And that's just down to your personal idea of what constitutes food practice and food safety practice and right. all of that as well. So don't do anything you're you're not comfortable with. But yeah, I think giving it a stir before you then serve it again is important. And to that end, after the blender incident, then I did just go with my whisk attachment on my KitchenAid. That worked great. So if you don't have a blender, don't want to get your blender out, now that you've heard my horror story. Right. <laughs> KitchenAid whisk attachment worked just fine. I also think that a handheld mixer would work fine here too. Oh yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so this is this is a big, big winner. I love it. Yeah, we did too. Listeners, remember, we will have a link to this recipe from the Cozy Kitchen in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 104. That will be up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group, Preheated. And next up is another whiskey extravaganza. Andrea, this is so funny to me <laughs> because a few episodes ago when we were doing our kind of holiday prep and suggestions for how to maybe make your life easier, we had the wonderful suggestion, it really was a wonderful suggestion, to maybe serve a chilled dessert, something that wouldn't need any oven time on this day when you're already doing a big feast, lots of things coming in and out of your oven. And so you and I decided to take our own advice, and here we are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For once, we listen to ourselves. I'm listening to this great <laughs> podcast, and they have this really good idea. <laughs> so these are the chilled chocolate and whiskey souffles with salted butterscotch sauce. It is from Good Housekeeping UK. Andrea, this name is a little bit of a misnomer. This really isn't a souffle in definition. It is a chilled mousse, but that's not going to stop us. It looks like a souffle and I think that's why they're calling it that. Traditional souffle you know goes in the oven and you have to worry about it falling and all that kind of stuff and that is not happening here. Right and so you have some dark chocolate they do specify that's at least 70% cocoa solids, four tablespoons of whiskey, some whole milk, again with your coffee granules so hopefully if you made our Irish cream you still have some of those left around, eggs, sugar, double cream and here's the ingredient that I had to send Andrea gelatin leaves. Now, this is available in the U.S. Did you do some research, Andrea, and find it on Amazon? I did find it on Amazon. Um, it came more in the packets with a lot. Okay. That's why you were kind enough to just send me since I just needed the one envelope or one sleeve of it. You can get it on Amazon, the brand that we use, which was, I think, the same one mentioned in this recipe, the Costa. Yeah, Costa Fine Leaf. And I'm sorry, listeners, I can't send you all Costa Fine Leaf <laughs> gelatin. Maybe someday. <laughs> So in the meantime, look at Amazon. I will also post a link that talks about using powdered and how you substitute that. You do have to do some other type of things. It's not necessarily hard, but it can be a little fiddly. So if you're unable to get the gelatin, just have the powder. Don't fear. I will post a link for you to follow along. Okay. I do have a question about the recipe um, before I attempt this. Have you looked at the first step, the first instruction? Yes. Okay. I'm a little confused about what we're doing there with those ramekins and wrapping them with baking parchment? Yeah, so I think you're just making like a collar 
so that when the mousse is there, it's not spilling over the sides because that's what's going to give it the souffle-like look, the fact that it's kind of billowing out the top oh, and it won't be okay. set until that gelatin has had a time to set okay. and is chilled. And then at that point for serving, I I'm see. sure you're going to you peel it off in step eight. So that's what it's there for, to kind of make the sides higher. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking, well, I'll just use a taller ramekin, mm. but they, they want that look to sort of duplicate the yes. souffle look. Okay. That makes more sense to me. So it looks like it's puffing over the top. Yes. And that's good that you brought that up because I do not have eight ramekins. I'm going to be using my one large ramekin that I bought when we did creme brulee back in first season. Yeah. You're not cooking this. This is just a vessel. Yeah. And I think she even mentioned that as an option. Oh, excellent. Maybe that's where I got that good idea. (laughs) By the good housekeeping (laughs) cookery team. That's right. So you are essentially making a mousse here, which is a blend of egg whites and egg yolks, a custard, whipping that all together and then putting it into the mixture with your gelatin and chilling that until the gelatin firms up and it is set. Then also making a salted butterscotch sauce. Sounds so good. And then having the cold chilled souffle with a hot salted butterscotch sauce. Andrea, I can't wait for this one. Stefan, I don't know if you recall sort of the history of us coming across this recipe. You had shared this recipe in, you know, some of our chat at the top of one of our shows. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we had outlined our December show sheets and we knew what we were going to be baking. And when you read out loud something about this chilled chocolate and whiskey souffle with salted butterscotch sauce, I started thinking about it and I could not stop thinking about it. I mean, it was just obsessed with me. And so I think it was the next time we were on the phone and I said, Stefan, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm not sure what you thought, you know, if you thought it was really serious, right? I was so nervous. And I said, I think we need to swap out, you know, whatever we originally had planned and do the chilled chocolate and whiskey souffle with salted butterscotch sauce because I cannot (laughs) stop thinking about it. And you just laughed so hard. You were so relieved that that was my big issue. I was. (laughs) You said it to me like very seriously, like, we have to have a talk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where is this going? <laughs> what could this be? Well, you're such a planner and a plan ahead that I, I felt, you know, a little uncomfortable throwing things up in the air at the last minute. But listeners, I think if you're like me, once you heard this title of this recipe, there's just no going back. You have to try it. So fingers crossed that this one's going to turn out. I do actually have eight ramekins, so I'm super excited about being able to do this. And I just love individual desserts. I love serving individual desserts at the end of a meal. It's so easy. Yeah. Obviously, it looks like you know you can do the souffle slash pudding part in advance and then just do the salted butterscotch sauce at the end and I cannot wait to try this one yeah and I know for my family and how I bake and cook this is not one that they are used to so it will have that kind of dramatic Mm -hmm. flavor about it as well just like pulling out dessert from the fridge and that is exciting and a little different too (laughs) yeah yeah Well, remember, we'll have a link to these recipes on our show notes for this episode, which is episode 104. That will be up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group, Preheated. Andrea, we have been talking all month about our tipsy treats. 
And while we were compiling recipes and mini segments, we discovered we have several other entries into this category that can not only be a fast and delicious dessert, but also a quick and impressive gift. And what got us so inspired was when we were watching your brother make homemade maraschino cherries this summer using those beautiful pale pink Washington Rainier cherries, which were then in season. Yeah. So this summer, while I was back in Seattle, you came to pick me up for our Pies and Prosecco live event, and he was busy whipping up a batch of homemade cherries. And we were momentarily distracted from our joyful (laughs) reunion watching him, Uh, so we knew it was a sign of a good recipe and a potential mini segment. Oh, absolutely. And from what I could tell, these cherries that he was making had almost nothing in common with store-bought maraschinos. First of all, they're alcoholic, so you won't be whipping up any Shirley Temples for your kids with these. And secondly, they weren't that screaming stoplight red color. Right. (laughs) And final thing, bonus, your brother taught us the correct pronunciation of the word. All my life, I've been saying maraschino, but apparently it's actually maraschino. Me too, I know. And that's because true maraschino cherries are made from marasca cherries, and that is a sour cherry mostly grown in Croatia. That's a little hard to find in the States, so my brother is still experimenting to find the perfect comparable cherry. And after he had tasted those Rainier's, Andrea, he thought they were delicious, but they were a little too soft. Oh, interesting. But no matter which cherry he uses, he follows a simple method. He soaks or basically brines the pitted cherries in a vanilla syrup he makes from water, sugar, and a scraped vanilla bean. Then he pours alcohol over the brined cherries. And we had a rather who's on first conversation when I was asking him about this technique. So I said, do you just pour vodka over the cherries? And that would have actually been more like our cherry bounce earlier this month. Oh, yeah. And he said, no, maraschino. And I said, oh, I know you're making maraschino cherries, but what's the alcohol? And he said, maraschino. And I said, yeah, I get it. You're making maraschino (laughs) cherries, but what's the alcohol? And he said, Stefan, the alcohol is maraschino. (laughs) And of course, he's right. Maraschino is liqueur distilled from those marasca cherries, and it should be easily available wherever you buy hard alcohol. Well, I had no idea either, so don't worry about that. I'm sure I would have had a similar conversation (laughs) with him. In fact, I thought the cherries were pronounced mascara cherries, like what you place on your eyes. (laughs) So... Mara Ross, maybe you're right. Who knows? No, I think you're definitely right. So I would have been just making mistakes all over the place. Well, I'm sure using fresh cherries is the way to go. Of course, that's what he was doing. But since it's December and I'm not going to be able to get my hands on any of those, can we use frozen or canned cherries instead, do you think? Yeah, I mean, my brother specifically has only experimented with fresh, but I did find several recipes that use frozen. So I think that's a fine substitute for this time of year. And when I was talking to my brother, he thought they might even be better because they're a little more dehydrated than fresh. So he thought the texture-wise might be a bonus. Okay. If you try frozen, though, just make sure you aren't getting those that are packed in syrup. I found a recipe that's very similar to the one my brother uses on our website in the show notes for this episode, and that is episode 104, so I will post it there. Stefan, I did find one other cherry recipe that I think has your name written all over it. It is called Mm. Boozy Cherry Molasses. Oh, (laughs) you know me so well. Molasses is my favorite sweetener slash health food, and (laughs) cherries are high in antioxidants, so this sounds like a double health bonus for me. (laughs) 
Well, you know, I'm always looking out for you. Yeah. This particular recipe, which, of course, we'll also put this one in the show notes as well, it uses golden rum and kirsch cherry-flavored liqueur, so it's another fun twist. Am I saying that right, kirsch? Yeah, I think that is right. Mm -hmm. That's how I would say it. Maraska, mascara, kirsch, kirsch, yes. (laughs) Kirsch, kirsch. (laughs) You know, now that we're mentioning other liquors, this reminds me of the apricot brandy. You said you used to make that using dried apricots, and I especially remember you telling me that after you strain the liquid out, those apricot bombs left behind were equally delicious. Oh, yeah. They were delicious and dangerous. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about that apricot liqueur several times this month. You simply soak the dried apricots an ungodly amount of sugar and vodka <laughs> for about a month and then strain it and decant it. So it's really, really similar to our cherry bounce back in episode 102. A nice bonus is that the apricots, which have soaked up all that vodka and sugar, are really nice warmed and served over ice cream or as a fun kind of shot on a cocktail tray. This time of year, one of my favorite books is Nigel Slater's Christmas Chronicles. Andrea, have you heard of this book? Well, only recently when you told me about it. It was new to me. Okay, so... Nigel Slater is a well-known and respected food writer and cookbook author here in the UK, and his book, The Christmas Chronicles, is a day-by-day reflection on the season and its food and activities from November to February. It's so soothing and beautiful, and it really slows me down during this busy season. And it also has lots of delicious recipes, including a few homemade liqueurs. But I love his suggestions for using up that leftover fruit, including hiding some boozy fruit in a crumble or pie (laughs) or simply serving with a jug of cream, which seems very British. Oh, wow. Yeah. But maybe more unexpectedly, Nigel urges you to try them with a pungent blue cheese like a gorgonzola or a Stilton. Oh, I'm much more likely to do that, I think, than eating it with a jug of cream. That sounds amazing and very British. I love a good cheese board. I just think having that really unexpected addition would be so much fun. Yeah. Stefan, one that we've both made is Nancy Leeson's delicious recipe for fruta sacca al rum, which is a variation on a German or Danish Christmas classic rumtoff or a rum pot in English. It features a whole host of dried fruit, apples, pears, prunes, and peaches, along with citrus and rum. Nancy says it's good on pancakes, ice cream, or as a savory condiment to meats, and I enjoy eating it warmed up just by itself. Me too. I think that one has such a nice and spicy flavor and it feels really comforting. Many of these fruits need aging time, but if you're running up against the clock, never fear. I think it's fun to put a little tag on the bottle or jar that says, don't open until, and then you can insert the date that your cherries or rum pot will be ready to enjoy. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. These gifts will start to lose their flavor and their color after one year, so you might want to add a best before date on your label if you're giving those away. But they won't go bad since the alcohol preserves them. Also, I found these type of things come down to a matter of taste preference, and it certainly won't hurt you if you taste your rum pot after the first week, nor is the world going to end if you eat your maraschino cherry that's only been stewing for three weeks and not four. In fact, it can be important, especially if this is your first time with one of these recipes, to do some taste testing along the way because your version of done may be different than the recipe developer. So you have our permission to get out that tasting spoon and dive right in. Listeners, let us know if you try these boozy fruits or make others. You can drop us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or leave a post on our Facebook page. 
Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. Next week, we'll find out whether our chilled chocolate souffle earned its place on our holiday dessert table. And we'll intro our own classic holiday dessert that I always thought was only in songs, figgy pudding. Some of you will be happy to know I'll be prepping this dessert in my instant pot. And of course, we'll have a traditional version for you as well. Finally, we'll talk about holiday baking traditions around the world and learn about some of your special memories. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please do tell a friend and subscribe, and then consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Well, you told me you had a dramatic ending, but I had no idea it was going to be so dramatic.